Well, we've been working through this uh, series. It's the story of Abraham up on the screen. He's still Abraham at this particular point in time. How that works out will become clear. But really, as we see uh, this, uh, this story open up, there's a few things that we need to remind ourselves of. Firstly, we're looking right the way back to one of the foundational points in the storyline of the Bible. We're right at the very beginning, towards the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 11, 12 onwards. Uh, We've had various events that we will make a note of uh, before us, uh, and we're really at a crucial point. In fact, the story opens up where it says, God spoke to Abraham. That's a remarkable moment. There's been hundreds of years of the silence of God, and now God speaks And yet, at the same time, what we find in this story is it's almost as though we begin to see the the rhythmic kind of sounds of the story of the message of the Bible begin to beat out. That kind of continuous, consistent message which starts very quietly, very dimly, and then over time begins to beat out more clearly, more clearly, more clearly. Uh, and we could put, to a certain extent, we could put over the top of this, uh, this um, investigation this afternoon the idea that in a bad sense and in a good sense, history repeats itself. Some of you will know uh, by the, the kind of the, the joy of MTV, it'll definitely be captured by a wider audience. Some of you will remember Shirley Bassey's hit song, Uh, history repeating itself. The words go like this. The word is about there's something evolving. Whatever may come, the world keeps revolving. They say the next big thing is here, that the revolution's near. But to me, it seems quite clear that it's all just a little bit of history repeating itself. You know, as time goes on, we realize that that is truer and truer than we ever realized before. As we begin to get through life's experiences, we begin to see the repetitions, the patterns, the the way in which things kind of consistently appear again and again. Yeah, they might be wearing different clothes. They might appear in a slightly different guise, and yet history repeats itself. And at the same time, we see in the message of the Bible history repeating itself. We see the consistency of God dealing with our inconsistency. And so we're going to look at that in two ways this afternoon. Well, first thing that we're going to see is we're going to see repeated rebellion. Repeated rebellion. And then we're going to see repeated grace. The story's fairly straightforward. Uh, If you want to catch up with any of the previous uh, talks in this series, they're available to download. But what we saw last week was that Abraham had been um, remarkably moved from a place where he thought that the Lord had placed him into the future. God had said, leave your homeland in the previous chapters. He'd said, leave your your household, leave leave your father's household. Go and travel into this land, and I'm going to give you this land. And it seems in the narrative, almost as soon as he got there, he ends up driven out of the land by the reality, the harsh reality of the life and death situation of famine. 
He ends up in Egypt. He didn't expect to be there. He thought that God had given him this land. He expected to be there for many, many years to come. And yet almost immediately he ends up in Egypt. It was life and death. He would be dead if he hadn't left and gone to the, the kind of verdant uh, pastures of Egypt, the, 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 the very fertile land and the, the safe haven in terms of food production that is the Nile Basin. And so we see that Abraham is moved along with all of his family and his nephew, Lot. And Lot now takes a more prominent part in the story. Lot, Abraham, and all of the rest of the contingent have moved back from Egypt. In fact, they've been dismissed by a remarkable intervention of God's hand. Uh, God moves in a remarkable way. They move out of Egypt and they move back to the land that God had originally said go into, but they arrive back in the land amazingly wealthier than they arrived in Egypt. Astoundingly wealthy compared to the way that they went in. Uh, it seems as though the, what they end up receiving is far outweighs anything that Abraham could ever have imagined and they end up back in the land of Canaan. However, all is not well. Lot has also, as Abraham's nephew, Abraham is an old man by now, so his nephew is a, at least a middle-aged man, and uh, the, he has acquired, he's acquired servants, he, he's acquired flocks, and uh, there is that kind of crisis that goes on where we've got two big groups of people vying uh, for the privileges of waterholes, for, for pasture land, for their flocks. And the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot end up in contention. Now, we, we see that in the, the opening part uh, of our reading, which was from chapter 5. We see that now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose among Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. So this is not Abraham and Lot who are quarreling. It is their herdsmen. It's the people who they are responsible for, who they are uh, uh, in authority over. That's really important. They are in authority over them. And yet they, we find that the crisis that existed amongst the herdsmen ends up with a crisis between Lot and Abraham. And Abraham turns to his nephew and he says, right, okay, the, the land can't support us. You choose. You choose which direction you want to go. And you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. It was an astounding offer. We just read it as a little bit of a narrative that, that Abraham makes this offer. You go that way, I'll go the other way, but you choose. In reality, we had the... Uh, the patriarch of the family, the senior man, the man who had the right to say, I'm going in that direction, therefore you go in that direction, who is astoundingly gracious enough to say, you choose. You choose. Which way do you want to go? I will go in the opposite direction to you. There is an amazing generosity there is an amazing humility that Abraham bestows upon Lot at this particular point in time. And, and yet it is, their, it is their herdsmen, it is the people who, are, who report effectively to Lot and Abraham, 
uh, who've caused the problem. And we see that um, Lot looks out. Lot looked around and saw, verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted. Just a little bit of a story to us, isn't it? But it is amazingly significant. Just, just get your head around this for a moment. Trying, trying to understand what has actually gone on in this man's experience. His, his father has died many years before. Abraham has taken him into his family and he has given him uh, an astounding privilege. He's poured out blessing upon him. He's cared for him. He's looked after him. He's protected him. He's also, as Lot, been in the privileged position of years before seeing the impact of, of the Word of God upon Abraham. He's seen what, respon- what response Abraham made when God spoke to him. He's seen how God says to Abraham, right now, leave the land and go into Canaan and we're going to, we're going to move away. And he goes with him. And then, as we saw a few weeks ago, he goes through that experience walking alongside Abraham where they are traveling around the land and they are making statements by building altars that this is the land that God has given us. And Lot is with him right the way through all of that time. He's observing it. He's seeing it. He's seeing the faithful belief in Abraham. He's watching what's happening. He is partaking in that journey. He then goes with him into Egypt. He sees the remarkable deliverance from Egypt. He also receives an amazing outpouring of wealth. And then he comes back. And he remembers as he comes back, this is the land that we first left, that we, f- uh, that we first traveled to rather, that we left to go into Egypt. This is the land that I remember Uncle Abraham had been told, this is the land that God has given you. Uncle Abraham came here, he left the metropolis of Haran, a wealthy city, to live in tents because he believed that God had said, live in this land. And Lot, when he's faced with the decision, which way am I going to go? Which way do you want to go? It's your choice, Lot. He steps away from the land that God had given. He steps away from the promise of God He says, I no longer believe effectively. I no longer have confidence in that decision. My confidence is in the land that looks and reminds me of Egypt. I remember what it was like back there. I don't believe so much in the promises of God. I don't believe in uh, in supporting and, and, and being part of the promise that God had made to Abraham. I want to go over there. I want to set out my uh, beliefs. I want to make my statement of what I think is going to give me security. And my decision 
on what is going to give me security is based on these, my eyes. He looked around. He saw the land and he believed that is safer than the Word of God. And so he goes. There's a little verse that we read uh, in verse 11. He set out towards the east. It's also remarkably significant. In a sense, he goes east. That's powerful in Bible terms. You know, he said right at the very beginning, it's a little bit of history repeating itself. It is just that. Way back at the very beginning of the Bible, there's another group of people, a couple of people, who decide, actually, we don't believe in, the, in, in God's Word. We believe in what we can see. Name was Adam and Eve. We believe in what we can see rather than what God said. And the end result of that is God drives them out of the garden and they go which way? They go east. They go away in symbolic terms from the presence of God. A little bit of history repeating itself. As Lot decides to believe in what he can see and not what God said, and he goes east. Just a few chapters later, a chapter or so later, we have another occasion. His name was Cain. He killed his brother. Which way did he go? So Cain went out from the Lord's presence. How powerful is that? He went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's little pictures. It's little reminders. It's a, it's a kind of the first beating of the drum. This is how we behave. Rebellion against God very often is not that absolute, upfront clear rebellion. It's the self-confident belief that I will go my way rather than God's way. And that is always, in biblical terms, going east. It's just going east. That's exactly what we see happening here. History repeats itself. Yet, even in that rebellion, something dramatic, dramatic happens, doesn't it? What happens as he goes east? He finds himself in a place which is, he's made the decision, I am happier over there in spite of the fact that the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. That's his decision. That's clear. I am making a decision that my security, the comfort and well-being of my people, my servants, my family, the well-being of us is better secured in that environment than in the safety and under the blessing of God's presence. I will step away from that, and in this case, in geographical terms, I will place myself outside of God's blessing. I will place myself amongst those who are clearly rebellious and in opposition to God, because I believe, you know what, that land looks better over there. It just looks more fertile. It's going to be safer it's just going to be better over there. It's what I can see. However, the outcome 
is rather dramatic. Because the outcome of this is that Lot, along with all of his possessions and all of his people, as a result of a battle scene which, is, which unfolds, we missed out the kind of introduction which is filled with even more bigger names uh, to chapter 14. Go and read it this evening. Read chapter 14. See the way this is intricately knit into the history of the people groups at the time. We have these kings. Now, we need to remind ourselves that this is, this is ancient days. When we read about a king, a king would be described as somebody who was the leader of uh, anything from a village to, to a town or to a region, to an area. When we think of kings, we think of massive geographical uh, states, don't we? We think of big areas. This was at the very founding, really, of civilization. We see the beginnings. And so we have the occurrence of many kings, kings of an area, kings of a town. And, and those kings, uh, like every other historical occasion, are wanting to gain benefit over those around them, and so there are battles going on. And one group of kings allies with another group of kings and wants to overthrow the king who has been oppressing them for years. Uh, that's not a new story, is it? That has been going on throughout history. But Lot is caught up in this, and he is taken captive. He becomes a slave, a possession his freedom that he sought vanishes and he becomes captive. That's it. The freedom is gone. The possessions that he thought he had, the possessions that he was actually seeking to secure are the very possessions that he actually loses in this battle. Rebellion. The end result of that is that he ends up in a state of hostage, of capture. He is now a slave. One of the men re, uh, escapes. We read that um, verse 13, is it? A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Anna all of whom were allied with Abram. The message gets back. Somebody, it's a bit like that marathon moment, you know, the ancient story. One man escapes, he makes the run, and he makes the run to Abram. And he passes on the message of precisely what has gone on. So we have got rebellion. Now we have got a picture of the most astounding grace. What would the human response be? Bearing in mind that these are, these are men now, these are not children, even though he's his nephew, he's a grown man with possessions. And we're talking about an old man who receives the message in Abraham. I guess the human response would be something along the lines of, well, you've made your bed, now sleep in it, or... You've got what you deserved, or what can I do? And yet, what does Abraham do? Amazing grace. He gathers together a small group of men, 318 men. 
Isn't it amazing the way the Bible actually records 318 men? I think one of the things that the narrator is wanting us to do here is just to remind ourselves we're, we're dealing with an excerpt of history here. It was 318 men that were gathered together. And he takes those 318 men and he pursues those who have taken captive Lot and he frees him and he liberates him and he takes him back to be with him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that grace is shown? What is grace? How is this grace? What did Lot deserve? He deserved to be captive. He'd made the decision. He decided to go outside of the security of the family unit. He decided to go out and to be in, in basically what is a dangerous place. He decided to step away from what he knew to be God's place of blessing. And yet what we see is that Abraham gives him what he doesn't deserve. He gives him what he doesn't deserve. That's grace. Receiving what we don't deserve. Taking him back into his security. Restoring him, redeeming him, purchasing him. If we've got any kind of idea of what the message of the Bible is all about, are we hearing a bit of a drum beating here? That drum of amazing grace, the idea that there is one who will come in this particular situation and will come as a champion and will fight the oppressor and will restore and redeem and release the captive and bring them back. It's a story, isn't it, from ancient times, and yet it is setting the scene for the pattern of the Bible. That the rebel, the rebellious, the one who is independent, the one who is making his own way, the one who is determined to go only in his own direction, receives what he doesn't deserve, is restored, is, 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 is saved, is redeemed. Grace. Amazing grace. Footprints. The first footprints that are being placed in the sand of time which we see opened up through the rest of the narrative of the Bible. Because that's what God was doing through Abraham, displaying precisely what he is like, a God of redeeming grace. But then in another way, you know, history does repeat itself. It continues to repeat itself again and again and again and again. Where do we place ourselves in this story? I guess that by instinct we might want to place ourselves in one particular place, the place of the hero, the place of, place of the one who is the great successful redeemer. We might want to place ourselves in the place of Abraham, but there is a reality, isn't there? There is a deeper spiritual reality which is going on, which we are conscious of, which maybe we are conscious of, maybe it's something which is beginning to dawn on us, that the reality is that we are far more like Lot. We are far more like one who will decide, how am I going to live my life? 
I'm going to live my life according to how I see it, according to how I decide is going to be the most securing way, according, according to the way which I see is the way of safety. And the way of safety and the way of security is rebellion against God in many cases. And we find that we look for safety. That's what Lot was doing. He was looking for safety. What is going to keep me safe? And we find safety in many places that are never, never going to ultimately protect us. We do exactly what Lot is doing. We decide I'm going to protect myself through what? Maybe through my career. I'm going to find security in making sure that I establish through my career everything that is going to protect me in life. Maybe through relationships. Maybe through money. Maybe through life's experience. Maybe through determining that I'm going to make the most out of life. I'm going to get the buzz because that's going to make sure that my life is secured and worthwhile. But the reality is that those very things that we think are going to free us and liberate us become what? They enslave us. They capture us. They take a hold of us. They do not deliver the safety that we hope for. They actually capture us and we become slaves to them. We become slaves to those very things that we think are going to give us freedom. And we become those who have rebelled and find that we are now enslaved. And the great news and the message of the Bible is that there is a Redeemer. He's not just a Redeemer who steps in for the sake of of a battle and some possessions. There is a Redeemer who steps in and fights the battle and champions the oppressed and frees the slave from the kind of enslaving which is eternal and which is spiritual. An enslaving which we can never free ourselves from. An enslaving which we can never, never liberate ourselves from. He comes as the champion. One of the things that we see in the Bible right towards the end is that Jesus is described as a champion. He's described as somebody who comes as a triumphant warrior. You read the back end of Revelation and what you will see is Jesus returning, I guess in a way just Abraham but multiplied a thousand million times. Abraham comes with 318 men, but Jesus comes as a triumphant warrior ultimately succeeding and defeating those very things that enslave us, those very things that capture us, freeing the rebel, freeing the enslaved. Isn't it remarkable that the one who came and gave himself and becomes enslaved himself is the one who is able to liberate those who are enslaved? Freeze those who are captured. Forgiveness. History repeating itself? Oh, absolutely. Every time another person who finds themselves enslaved by their guilt, 
finds themselves enslaved by the patterns of life that we have tried to put in place to secure us. And we come to the one who will liberate us in Jesus himself. And we find that we are liberated and freed. History repeats itself again. I've had the privilege, and some of you have had the privilege on many occasions, to talk to people who've been able to express exactly that kind of liberation. The freedom that comes of knowing that I am now a servant of the living God. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Freedom by being a servant. Freedom by being a servant just like any other servant? No. Freedom by being a servant that's just like a son or a daughter. See, Lot was bought again. He was redeemed again. Adopted once, bought back again. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't it wonderful that that is exactly what we see repeating itself through the pattern of God, opening himself up little by little. This is what I am like. This is the kind of God I am. A God who saves the enslaved, frees and liberates the rebel. Not just temporarily. We're going to see that lots outcome perhaps isn't as great as it could have been. But you know, for those who trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is liberty for eternity. And that is the pattern of God as he begins to lay it before us through these little stories of Abraham and his nephew thousands of years ago.